Well, being a mother, and motherhood always starts with a story. So let me start with my story, how my motherhood started. Imagine, 1974, young Yalta and young PJ just got married. And the only thing that PJ had in mind uh, was being a mother, always. It was always my biggest dream, to be a mother. And so here we go, and um, nothing happened. <laughs> Not of a lack of trying, because we were just, just married. Wow, one month, two months, I don't know how many months, I'm just like, what's happening? Went to the doctor, and he said, just calm down, it's all right, it's going to... So I had a word with God, and I said, well, I can't be sitting here at home all day doing nothing. Uh, either you give me a job, or I fall pregnant. And so then a job came up, and I applied, because, you know, a job doesn't just fall in your lap, is it? you have to do something. So I applied for this beautiful job, it was at a rehab unit, and it was run by the Catholic Church. And, um, and so um, the nuns were interviewing me. And she said, I see you're married, mm -hmm. um, not wanting any children. I thought, oh, please, don't start that. Because, you know, it's, just, it's a sensitive. I said, yes, we, we would love to have children. But she said, I'll pray. Anyway, I got a phone call the next day, and I got a job. Praise the Lord. It was just so good, because I thought, well, obviously I need to be working and not being a mother. Lo and behold, a month later, <laughs> young Pierre was pregnant. But the nuns were very, very happy. And obviously they prayed very well, because since then, it hasn't stopped really me being a mother. And so nine months later, our firstborn was born, Katerina. So Mother's Day. And I know we're all laughing and we're having fun at a mother, but for many mothers, it's not an easy day today. And I want to acknowledge those mums today. Because for many who have lost a mum, and even maybe most recently lost their mum, or lost their child, and especially those thinking of those children who never see the daylight and have been taken back to the Lord. I'm thinking of all those mothers who are doing solo and doing all the caring all by themselves. I'm thinking of all these mothers who are not allowed to care for their own children and they are in foster care. I know also those mothers who are care for those children, but there is not, they are not their own children. We had quite a few of those. And it's not always that easy. I think of all those mothers um, who are mothers, but they are spiritual mothers. They, they take other people under their wing. And you don't have to be a biological mother for to, to do that. And so many of those are in this room who constantly taking people under their wing. But today we're looking at the story 
uh, of two women. Uh, one of those women, a woman, is she is well off. Uh, she's totally in control of her life. She's rich, and she can tell other people what to do. And she has a longing uh, to have a child. She's actually has been promised a child, and she already knows what the promise is. The promise is the son. Is the son. And then there is an other woman in this story, and she has no control of her life. She is poor. She is one of the lowest of the lowest. She is a slave. And she has, I wouldn't say, no desire maybe to fall pregnant in the way she did. But she has no choice. And so here is two women, and obviously there is a man involved, always. <laughs> always. And his name is Abram. So let's go to that story. So one woman carries this great promise of a son. And we'll just hear the story that God never leaves anybody out to give them a promise. So God promised Abraham and his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So if you go to Genesis 15, you tell that he had a dream and, and God tells him, just look at the sky. Obviously it was night. And uh, look at the sky, all the stars, that will be all your descendants. And uh, because obviously Abram was a bit worried because you're getting old. And Sarai, she's getting old too. Uh, how would it be happening? And then they get promised a son. And so here we are in the story. Let's go to the story at Genesis 16 to 1 to 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife had bought him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build, I can build a family through her. Lo and behold, Abram agreed to Sarah and said, so after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. So here is the Egyptian servant, Hagar, and she's offering to Abram. She had no say in the matter. She did, was not asked, you know, would you, or do you, you know, whatever, nothing. She had to be told to, to be with Abraham and, and you know what I mean, and, and conceive a child. Because Sarah could not wait for, God, uh, for God's plan to come through. And she thought, well, you know, it's been long enough. She got impatient and she thought, well, I'm going to help God a wee bit and uh, I'm going to organize it my way. Because God, when God gives us a plan, he doesn't give us all the information, does he? Have you found out? Yes. He doesn't give us all the information because he does not really tell us everything, how it should come about. But we, what he does tell us, that we trust him when he has a plan for us. And sometimes 
He's just not telling us what he's going to do or how he's going to do it. So Abraham and Sarah find themselves in a situation and realizing that she's barren, yeah, that is now, that is, that is pretty obvious. And even though the plan they had, Sarah had a, a nice idea. And so I was thinking even Abraham didn't even oppose the idea. You know, he wasn't even saying to her, nah, we just wait and we trust the Lord. No, no, Abram was in it as well. So he agreed with the plan. Maybe she was hoping that he would offer. He would refuse her offer. I wonder what was going through her mind. But Hagar was not asked. She was told she was a slave with no rights, no opinion, no value, no choice, nothing. And so she felt pregnant. And Hagar began to despise Sarah. And you can understand it a wee bit, can we? So just, we are just ordinary people, aren't we? Here's Hagar. She falls pregnant. And you know, her boss, or her, you know, her mistress, is what they call it in the Bible, she was longing for this child, and she's, she is carrying what she really wanted. And she thinks, I've got an up on you, you know. And she's got a bit too full of herself. And obviously that got annoying to Sarai because that was painful to be reminded every day that Hagar was carrying Abram's child. And so she obviously went to, um, to Abram, what to do with it. And he said, well, she's your slave, you just deal with it. Yeah. What a situation, if you, if you imagine that plays out in, in a household that we hold very dear. Because if you look at the book of Hebrews, you know, they are, he's one of our forefathers of our faith. This is the household that we, that we look up to. Father Abraham had many sons. But, you know, each household got his own internal tension and internal situations, and they, they were not exempt from it. And the other thing that struck me, every time Sarah and Abraham mentioned Hagar, she was referred to the slave or the maidservant. She really had no value to them, only value for their own gain. So Hagar didn't have a choice. And you can only understand because Sarai treated her very badly. And I don't know how badly it was, but it was really bad. And in the end, she, she couldn't take it anymore. She, she just had enough. She couldn't stand it anymore, being treated like that and carrying this child of Abraham from the man of the house and be treated too badly. She was just sick of her situation. Have you ever been sick of your situation? You think, get me out of here. I had when I was five. <laughs> oh, we lived in the Wop Wops and, you know, had quite a few brothers and sisters already and I don't know what happened, but I thought I had enough of this situation. And I walked across the paddock and then I was thinking, where shall I go? There was nowhere to go. Another paddock, and then another paddock. So I walk back. But you know what I mean. 
Have you ever been sick of a situation? Have you ever been just feeling actually physically sick of your situation? And so out of desperation, she thought, well, I have to do something. And she finally decided to, to go because she couldn't take it anymore. And although Hagar knew that Abraham and Sarai were knew God, I'm not quite sure how much she knew about God herself. Maybe she heard it, but she didn't know himself. No doubt she was confused. And What could a single pregnant single woman, what could she do? Um, could she go home, back to Egypt? She had to go through the desert? Oh, well, they got enough on their own too. So her future was very uncertain. But she, it was just too painful for her to think, to stay in the place where she was. And she felt abandoned and alone, and she went. So in this distressed stage, Hagar, you need to see picture. She fled into the desert. That's what it says. Your servant is in your hand. Do whatever you like, you think best. And then Sarah ill-treated Hagar, and so she fled from her. And then she was in the, in the desert, without shelter, without food, water, and she felt scared and lonely is an understatement. I wondered, in this despair, anybody cared for her? What was she, what was she thinking in her head? Did anybody, anybody at all, cared for her and her unborn baby? A single man in scorching sun desert is usually hot, wasting away, no food, no water, no nothing. She was utterly on her own. And you know what? This story could be of many women across the world, through many generations, and even today. Women are getting still used and abused for other people's gain. But can you relate to it? Maybe not to her situation, but, but the emotions that is expressed or is felt in such a time like this, of fear and of loneliness, of not being valued, not being loved, not being noticed, not being appreciated, maybe as a child, maybe your workmate, maybe your husband, maybe your family, maybe your child or your friend or whoever it is in what situation it is. Or being a mother. You know, a mother, they have this picture, isn't it, that it is so glorious all the time, so beautiful, all the time, and it's not. We all know it's not. Although I love being a mother. I'm, 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 that is my best role I have. Being a mum. So good. I love being a mum. But is it all glorious? No. Is it all beautiful? No. Are there many ups? Oh, too many. <laughs> so many. Are there downs? Oh, yes, as well. And, you know, as a mum, your work is never finished, is it? There's always more washing and another cooking or cleaning. or There is hardly any time for yourself, and especially if you are a young man and you're online or here, and you are a young man with a newborn baby, well, it's very overwhelming, to say the least. You think, I don't know, I can do this all my life. 
And in moments like that, you think, does anybody know how hard it is? Does anybody know how I feel? Does anybody know what it's like to be me in this situation? Maybe you wondered at times, just like Hagar, you know, who found herself alone. And Does anyone care for me? Does anybody see me, how I struggle? Does anybody, if anybody could just could imagine what it's like to be me in, in my situation and ever wondered, you know, does God really, really care? And the answer to all these heart-wrenching questions is a big yes. He does. He so does. And if you are in, in a situation or you've been in one or you, I'm sure you might get in some situation again, you, we need to remind ourselves that God cares and God loves. In, it says in Luke 12, I'm just going to read you some scripture. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. I don't know how he does it with my hair because I'm losing so much at the moment. And every time I touch my hair, I see? got another hair. And I think, how do you keep track of it? You are worth more than many sparrows. What about Psalm 139? For you created my inmost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb, and you saw my unformed body. It is amazing. He saw you already then. It says in Proverbs 13, verse 7, that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere keeping watch on the wicked, but also the good. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. And then Isaiah 43, it says, Do not fear, I have redeemed you. You are mine, and I have summoned you by name. It's not like, hey, you. Uh, hey, you at the back. No, it's Justin. It's you. He calls us by name. So he knows you and he knows, what do you think? Does he know Hagar in that situation? So when God found Hagar, that's what, 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 what it says in our um, scripture. I'm just going to read it. The angel of the Lord, so beautiful. The angel from the Lord I would explain a lot more, but I haven't got time about it. One day, we'll talk about the angels of the Lord. The angels of the Lord found Hagar near the spring in the desert. And it was the spring that is beside the road of Shur, something like that. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. So she was pretty, pretty honest what was going on. So God found her, and the first word out of his mouth was Hagar. No one else really cared about her or called her by her name, but God gave her some decency. God gave her respect by calling her by her name, and that's who she was. She was Hagar. That was her name. So same with you, or with me, or you. You know, God knows you by name. I know that God knows me by the name of Pirkia, 
not so much PJ, but Pirkje, because that is really my name. He knows everyone by name. That's what the Bible tells us. He not only knows you, but he says that your name is engraved in his hand. I don't, he must have had an enormous big hand. If you even think of it, that your name is engraved in there. He knows you. He knows your name. And he knows your story. Isn't it amazing that he knows every part? I think sometimes he knows more about me than I do. And sometimes I'm a bit on the blank. I've got a bit of a fog in my head. I ask him, what, what is the answer to this? Can you find my keys? Or anybody else? Yeah. Because he knows where my keys are. He leads me to it. I love the fact that he came to Hagar. He sought her out and arrived in a time that she had a greatest need. And she had an encounter with God. And when you have an encounter with God, everything changes. Even though nothing has changed, but everything has changed. And that's what happened for Hagar in that moment when the angel of the Lord met her in the desert. He, she had an encounter with her. And in that moment, she was reassured. And in that moment, she received comfort. And in that moment, she received hope. It is the most beautiful exchange, that's what I call. An exchange took place in that moment. And Hagar never was the same again. She knew that God had a plan for her life. She knew that she would have a son. And God called it Ishmael. God called it Ishmael. She knew that she would have many, many descendants. And still today, her descendants are still all over the world. You know, God's promise. You know, Sarai carried the promise of having a son. And Hagar received the promise on that moment, on that day in the desert. And that beautiful exchange took place. You know, sometimes we have experienced intense situation. Maybe you have. And you, you don't know how to come out of it. Or how to manage your basic needs. Or how to be, be again, to get up in the middle of the night. Or change another nappy. Or cook another meal. Or just to be, give another hug and heal another falling knee and everything. You know, God sees every woman, every man. Even when a single man, a woman is celebrating her friend's wedding, and when she longs to be married herself, or when somebody falls pregnant and, and then somebody has difficulties on an IVF program, God sees it all. God sees our pain and our struggles. God sees our joy. God sees every prayer that we pray. Where we just reach out to God and bring our children and our grandchildren before Him. Because we feel so helpless. 
We know we haven't got it. But we know have, have a God who's got everything and is able and is bringing answer to bring deliverance and to bring the promise and bring the blessing. He sees. And your answers are delivered to your children and your grandchildren and your descendants still. I understand Hagar's urge to run away. Because sometimes it's it just... You, you want to get away from that situation. But we can run away in many, in many ways, not in just in the physical. We can just run away by not being there or just have another coffee or another drink, go to McDonald's to comfort ourselves. But really, that is not going to be your fill. Your fill will be when you reach out to God. And that's where, you know, the Word of God comes in. The Holy Spirit that is in you that helps you. He's called the helper. That's where a good friend comes in. That because we're not meant to do life on our own. We're meant to do life together. I encourage you, join a, a life group, a connect group. So you have some friends where you can actually talk honestly about your struggles and find the comfort, but also the word of hope that will be in the midst of it. In other words, when we feel most invisible and forgotten by everybody else, we need to remember that God sees us. He does. He is able. He is for you. He is so for you to bless you. So, Hagar has this encounter with God and the angel said she has to go home. She has to go back to Sarai. He tells her what to do and promised that he will multiply her descendants through the child that she's carrying and his name will be Ishmael. And encouraged and probably so overwhelmed by the strength that the God is giving her and the grace. She gives, she gives God a new name. Nobody, nobody has ever given God a name, but she does. And she gives him a name. El Roy, the God who sees. And she returns to Abram and Sarah. So there was a huge U-turn in the desert. And many times we need to make a U-turn in our situations, in our deserts, in our... We make that U-turn. And what happens then? It will be a testimony to others. Because when you encounter God, or when you decide to make that U-turn, the story goes with Hagar. I read it to you. They named the well with an unusual name. I don't pronounce it well. It says Bielahroy or something like that. But it means the well of the living one who sees me or the well of the seeing alive. And when travelers asked, how did this place get this name? They will tell the story again about Hagar 
how she had an encounter with God and how she named God that he is the God who sees me. And still today, we are still talking about Hagar as a testimony that God met her in the desert, that God met her need, not only met her need, but gave her comfort, gave her hope for the future. And for not only for her, but for all her descendants as well. And so in the same way, and God has met you in your trials, and you all had trials to face. And if we're still in the land of living, we probably have some more trials to face. God wants to see, want you to see him in a fresh way. That he is with you. He sees you. He has seen you. And he is a God who can bring hope on the horizon. He is the God who can bring strength and grace and bring hope for the future again. Not only for your life, but for your children and your grandchildren and their children and their children. Never stop to testify what God has done in your life. And we as mothers, we've got many, many stories of how God has blessed us, of how God came through, how God met you in the darkest days. I have, and many and many times, he showed himself. It's either to the, to the Bible, to the Holy Spirit, or through a friend. Just an encouraging word.